Welcome to the Leadership Void Podcast. Enrique and Vince here, and we're all about helping you develop and fill the areas of void in your leadership. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Leadership Void Podcast. I'm Enrique with my co-host Vince to bring you the best in our veteran military spouse and first responder community. And Vince will introduce today's guest. Well, thanks, Enrique. Yes, definitely. You know, hey, we already passed the 15th of the month of June. Here we are culminating this month. But what a pleasure. What an honor to have Dr. Russ Barnes here with us. He's the CEO of Sistro Solutions from the greater Tampa Bay area down the street from us. Welcome to the show, Dr. Russ Barnes. Tell us a little bit about you. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me on the show. I've been waiting to, to be on this show. And, and the Leadership Void is just the perfect name for what we're going to talk about today. A little background about me, uh, just for context, is uh, I grew up in New York. I was one of eight kids. I was the third of uh, eight kids. My two older brothers were five years older than me, six years older than me. And then the next brother was uh, three years younger than me. Uh, I put that in for context because it has a lot to do with my leadership evolution uh, in my life. For a long time, I was the baby. For a while, I was this little only child. And then for a while, I was the, I was the older brother for, for, for many years. And, uh, and that gave me a, an adaptive perspective. You know, my dad was a truck driver with that many kids. Going to college was just not going to be uh, an option unless I found a way to do it. Got an ROTC scholarship. And that's what brought me into the military to begin with. I planned on doing four years, getting out and making some real money. And after a 27-year detour, uh, I retired at the, at the rank of a colonel. I was a B-52 radar navigator for 11 years. And then I was a staff geek for 16. Uh, most of those years were spent, uh, nine of those years were spent in joint duties, which many people may not know what that means. But, you know, I worked at the Pentagon on the joint staff. I worked at European Command. I worked at Central Command. I worked at Strategic Command. And these were all areas of the service where I was working with members of the other services in combination to get the work done. So, uh, in, in quick, that's a little bit about my background to, to give the folks some context. Great background. And, and hey, folks, there's three New Yorkers on this episode today. <laughs> it, it might get funny. It might get hairy, but we're, we're taking it with stride. Uh, Doc Barnes, uh, it's so good to, to know that uh, with your upbringing, with your family dynamic, you still found a way uh, to get into uh, the Air Force and make it a career. Wow, wow, wow. What a long time you served. I'm also from the Purple Nation, and, and people in the joint know what purple means. Um, and so uh, it, it's amazing not only the, the career you had in the Air Force, but what you're doing now. So tell us a little bit more specifically about Sistro Solutions. So when I, so number one, I'm going to back up a little bit and just say that I've always had an entrepreneurial mindset. When I was a kid, I was always trying to find ways to be, make money, of course, with that many kids in the family. There wasn't a whole lot to go around. And if I wanted to have some things, I was going to have to find a way to pay for it. So I've always had that mindset. And as I mentioned, I, I planned on you know, doing four years in the military and then getting out and making some real money. You know, that was going to be the payback for my scholarship. And then after that 27-year detour, I was now at that point where I said, you know, this is my opportunity and I'm not going to pass up on this opportunity. And I just, I didn't, I did not want to work for anybody ever, ever, ever 
ever again. And that was my driving motivation to really pursue the entrepreneurial path. Now, there's nothing wrong with the corporate path, but I just wanted freedom to have to make the decisions to not have somebody tell me no, to not um, be able to make the money that I wanted to make if I, if I wanted to, to do that. So um, I started out in the entrepreneurial path, really didn't know a whole lot about it. So my first um, business out of the military was a franchise. And uh, I told you I retired as a colonel and the first franchise was a leather restoration and vinyl repair business. <laughs> I was fixing people's stuff and uh, nobody got it. They didn't, you know, they said, what do you know about fixing leather? What do you know about fixing, you know, this stuff? And you, well, you're not, my wife said, you're not good with your hands. Why are you doing this job? <laughs> and what nobody realized was that I was really learning to be a CEO. And when I went, when I made that transition, um, I said, I, I'm, I'm back at a second lieutenant. You know, I'm a second lieutenant again. I'm not a colonel in my post-military career. I'm a second lieutenant. I actually did not put colonel on anything I did for the for the next three years, you know, first three years after I retired. And um, I since I didn't know what I wanted to do, that was why I picked that particular business. And I learned a lot about being in business, hands-on, in the trenches, working my way up from right at the bottom. And I learned some things while I was going through that journey, which is that there is a period of business growth where I call it the pre-profitability stage now. I didn't have that term back when I started. It was an evolution. And what that means is how does a business what does a business owner do before they have money, before they have people, and before they really know what they need to know in order to be successful in business? At that point, the small business administration, small business development center, SCORE, they can't help them because those folks, those agencies need you to have people. They need you to have a revenue stream. They need you to have some knowledge that they can build upon. So I became obsessed with trying to figure out how do I help a business owner in the pre-profitability stage? And that's what brought me to Cistro Solutions. That's also what brought me to the PhD because as I was trying to solve that problem, it became bigger than I could manage on my own. So I needed help. Since I had my um, GI Bill and the opportunity to go into a PhD program, I already had two master's degrees. I used that PhD program to help me frame what I do with Cistro Solutions. My PhD is in organization development and my dissertation is organization design for small business, a discovery of, of how to uh, I forget the, the complete title of it, but it was basically a discovery of basic business fundamentals for executing a purposeful path to profitability. And I actually have a copy of it. I brought it and I, I left it in my car, but it's about, it's about that thick. It's a really comprehensive um, dissertation. And I really did it for my purposes. Um, of course, I, I earned a PhD, but I did it for my purposes. I use it as a reference document and I use it as a guide and it shapes and frames what I do with Cistro Solutions, um, which is strategy development and organization design for small businesses in the pre-profitability stage. So that was a long answer, but it gives you the full trajectory of how I came to doing what I'm doing today. I definitely love that evolution from, you know, working in the leather as a second Louis, all the way back to the colonel stage, as right, you are right. helping out individuals and doing all that research. And, and not only for new, for you, now you're going to give it back to the world and, and, That's and right. sister solutions. So very excited to know what's on the horizon for your company. So 
Um, let me, so the definition that I use of strategy, because for the small business only in the pre-profitability stage, you cannot be complex. They don't have time for that. So um, my definition for strategy is how to get from where you are to where you want to be. It's a very simple definition. I always tell people, I have a PhD. I can make this definition as complicated as you want it to be. And you'll really realize how smart I am, <laughs> but you won't be able to do anything with it. With this definition, you can do something with it because there's three components. Where are you? Where do you want to be? And how do you connect the dots? So I drink my own Kool-Aid. And I had established for my business early on that I wanted to help 600,000 micro business owners become purposefully profitable. And by keeping my eye on that objective, it really helps me to make decisions along the way. You know, what to do, what not to do. Who, the, who I need help from, who I, I cannot accept help from, those types of decisions. So by setting a goal and a target like that, it let me know that I can't do coaching and consulting and website webinars and workshops and those things and hit that goal. There's not enough hours in the day. So I needed to automate. I knew from day one, I needed to find some way to create something so that the small business owners in the pre-profitability states could go in on their own, self-paced, self-directed and get the actionable work done. Not knowledge, not understanding, not education, actionable work done. And so um, I have created, and so in, in looking at that definition, we have to first figure out where you are. So I've created an assessment and it's a very powerful assessment. You know, you can access it on my website and when people were raving so much about how just taking that assessment helped them with their mindset, I knew I had something there. So that is the where you are. And that's where I, where, where I am at this point. I also have created five worksheets to help an individual understand how to navigate through the pre-revenue and pre-profitability stage. I'm in the process of automating that as well. And again, keep in mind, I'm not trying to educate small business owners or teach them. I'm trying to get them to take actions in these worksheets. Once they fill out the worksheet, they can then get the results of strategic thinking without having to become a strategic thinker. I learned very early on that most people don't think like I do and they don't want to. <laughs> if you took a peek in this brain, it would scare you. <laughs> So what's next on the horizon is getting these five worksheets automated. I just hired a guy to come in and help me do that. And um, once that's done, then it's going to be a game changer for not only Cistro Solutions, but for anybody who you know participates and has the opportunity to take uh, the assessment as well as those um, first five worksheets through stage one. Well, I'm excited for that. I'm listening over here. I say, yeah, I, hey, bring that assessment on this way. <laughs> Because you you're so both. right. I mean, you know, small business owners, they have a, a uphill battle as it is. Um, they don't usually have the resources, the funding and all that other stuff that big ones do. Uh, they're just starting off. So they really do need some streamlined way of getting to the action. Uh, and uh, I think you, you, you have a gold mine there, Doc. Uh, and uh, I wish you all the best. Now, we're talking about leadership void, the leadership uh, uh, section of what we're about to talk about uh, it usually deals with the individual, right? The person, the leader. So what is there? Uh, is there something that you do on your spare time to uh, help you uh, thrive in your professional life? 
Yes, and so I said I was going to do four years in the military and I was going to get out and make some real money. Well, my personality is from the Myers-Briggs, from the Myers-Briggs test, my personality is introverted. And from early on in my career, I was wondering how I was going to manage as an officer in the military. And, and that fascinated me. So back then, I started studying leadership at a very intense level to understand how I was going to perform, you know, effectively and perform well. For the, for the majority of my career, I did not really understand. It was, it was fairly uncomfortable to understand why I just didn't like the way leadership was done in, in the military. Um, and it wasn't always about, you know, people say, oh, you get yelled at in the military and they, you know, they make you do these things and, and how can you do that? And it wasn't about that with me in the military because I was an aviator. So I was on the airplane, I was in the flying community and leadership uh, as well as, you know, the environment of interaction is very different in the flying community. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I went into the flying community because I said, I won't survive if I just try to do some type of a desk job in the military. I loved computers and I really wanted to go into computers in the military, but I said, I will not survive in that environment. So I need to be in the flying game. And then I was fortunate enough to be able to get in. Um, that's another long story. Um, but um, so having that perspective on my military career and the fact that they kept promoting me, which I couldn't figure out because <laughs> I said, I don't think like them. I don't act like them. In most cases, I'm disagreeing with everything that they tell me to do. <laughs> and why do they keep, you know, keep promoting me? And, and so what I learned later on down the line was that um, I got results, you know, and, 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 and many other people weren't. And that made a that was a difference. That was a differentiator for me. So I, I lay that groundwork to say that when I went through the Air War College, they gave me, they had us all take the Myers-Briggs test. And when I took the Myers-Briggs and, you know, coded out as a INTJ and the I being for introvert, and then I began to study what that meant. I realized that I had a power that um, was unique and different. And introvert power is preparation. So an introvert is in their head, very introspective. And so if you are an introvert, you will not say anything until you know what you're talking about. Extroverts, on the other hand, learn while they speak. So they, they're talking and they're talking their way through, but they're processing. And that drives an introvert up the wall because the introvert is going, wait a minute, a minute ago, you said that, and then you said this, and then you just changed. And now this is 180 degrees from what you started. Can't you make up your mind what you think? So that being the case, um, that kind of led me into uh, this idea of, um, you know, of, of, of personal preparation and, and how am I going to be prepared to do what I, what I do. And so I always offer the introverts, I say, look, if you are prepared, then you will, you will present as an extrovert because once an introvert knows what they're talking about, you can't get them to shut up, you know, just like now. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, this is great, Doc. I appreciate your, you know, how, you know, you produce results, and and it was great. I, I am an ESTJ, so I am there one of those. <laughs> you too. <laughs> I, I, I'm one of those that are thinking on the fly, and keep on going from there. But yeah, yeah, my wife is in the, on the on the scale, so we have some interesting conversations. <laughs> and interesting enough, once I begin to understand the dynamic, I understood her a lot better. 
Mm -hmm. because I used to think, you know, you know, she just can't make up her mind. But now Mm -hmm. I realized that she was processing. And by me understanding that she's processing when she's talking to me and I'm sitting there listening, um, it was a different dynamic. Absolutely is. Once you know your people, know some personalities is definitely applicable to any scenario, any leadership, any, any organization. Let's talk about the New York state of mind and open up that cranium and talk about your principles and your philosophies. I believe it's one of them is leaders leading leaders versus leaders leading followers. Yes, yes, yes. I wanted to talk about that because uh, my wife is in sales and she and I get into these conversations and she's like, she's a sales manager. And she says, people need to be told what to do. If you don't tell people what to do, then they don't know what to do. And I was on the, always on the other side of the, that, that, that argument. And I said, no, I said, people want to have freedom to be creative. They want to be able to you know, exercise their, their creativity. And, and, and you just, if you tell them what to do all the time, then they just get really frustrated. And we, she and I had this conversation for years. We're just going, going back and forth like this for years. And um, I met a guy who was also in sales and we were having this conversation and everything he was saying was just the same as what my wife was saying. So then I said, wait a minute. I said, there's this perspective here that I may have been missing. And then I thought about my military career. And remember, I was an officer and I was an aviator. So we flew as a crew and we had one enlisted person on the crew, the gunner, you know, until they got rid of the gunners on the bombers. And the pilot wrote the gunner's EPR. I never had to write an EPR. And even when I left the aviation business, I went into staff, higher, higher headquarters staff jobs, where all of the people who worked for me were officers. So I never worked with people who needed to be told what to do, who wanted to be told what to do. And what that did for me at that moment was to realize that I was a leader leading leaders whereas my wife and this other guy were leaders leading followers. And there's, this is not a, a positive or a negative thing. It's simply a matter of what career did you go into and what does that career entail? So by me being a leader leading leaders, I was always around people who wanted to be creative. They wanted to demonstrate their ability to take on a task and complete it. And they didn't want you micromanaging, you know, in their face all the time, over their shoulder all the time, telling them what to do. In my leadership evolution, as I had mentioned earlier, I did not like the way that I was led from that perspective because people would, the the, the senior officers would tell me, "I, I want you to do this. And I would say, okay, but that's not a smart way to do it. Of course, I wouldn't use those words. There's a better way to do that and just let me do it and I'll get it done. Um, And so this was a constant friction with me in terms of, look, if you want me to do it, tell me what to do and I'll do it. If you want me to do it your way, then you need to do it because I can't do it your way and I won't do it your way. And so that was a constant friction with me throughout my military career. And so when I became a leader in a leadership position, I said, I'm not gonna do that to the people who work for me. I'm gonna let them see the bigger picture I'm going to help them to understand where their strengths are within the context of this division. And then I'm going to let them do what they do. So that was why I felt like, okay, I'm a leader leading leaders. So now where does that come in the context of of other leadership? What most people do in their organizations is they take the leaders in their organization and they will give them feedback like, 
you need to be more in compliance with what this organization does. You need to, you know, follow the script. You need to do what we're telling you to do. You know, you're too much out on your own. You're trying to be too creative and you try to put them into that box of, you know, controlling. And then you take your, your, your followers. I really don't like that word, but hopefully people understand in the context. So you take your followers who are also very highly productive. They just need more guidance, you know, and I'll, I'll put it that way. So you take them and you say, you need to be more creative. You need to, you know, step out of the box. You need to, you know, take some initiative. <laughs> so what you're doing is actually the very opposite of what you should be doing. You should be telling your leaders in your organization, okay, who I know you're gonna go. So here's what you need to do just come back to me whenever you need some assistance and, and, and you go. And then you tell your followers and say, okay, here's the guidance. Here's what I need you to do. And here's, you know, what, what, um, what you can do to be most productive. So I just wanted to, to, to bring that out as part of the conversation because it was an epiphany for me when I realized it. And I think it's a game changer for people when they start looking at the organizations and saying, hey, maybe I am treating my leaders um, in a micromanaging way that is causing them friction and I'm treating my followers in a way that is causing them friction because they just they they're happy to have the guidance so that was uh, that was one of the things I wanted to bring out well yeah doc we we had run in uh to each other over at PyFest and we we just kind of just quickly covered some of this um and I told you that uh that was the my lot <laughs> coming out of service and into the community uh, finding a job at, at, at uh, here locally. And, you know, when we talk about the leadership void, um, the, this is one of those areas that really uh, hurts organizations because you, you mentioned Myers-Briggs. These assessments are made for you to understand your people a whole lot more. They're not, yes, they're made for you to understand yourself because if you don't understand yourself, you can't understand anybody else. But for leadership and for organizations, these assessments are there for you to know your people better. When you don't know your people, you find yourself in predicaments like that as leaders where you're uh, micromanaging creative people. That's the worst thing you could do. <laughs> and and right. you're, you're letting um, those that need a little more guidance than others to go ahead and do whatever they want. And then <laughs> you you get a big fiasco. And so, you know, to your point, uh, and I, and I told you that I was a testament, uh, and why I left an organization because they hired a leader, but they actually wanted a follower. And, um, and, and so if you put me in there, I, I, t I do just like you tell me what you want and let me go. And, and, and you know, for a lot of organizations, they just can't, uh, get it right in terms of hiring how they hire people and then they uh frustrate uh leaders that are uh, creative and things like that because they want you to just like you said fit in a box do it like they you know like the procedures say and all that and and obviously we know by being military that there is a need for procedures that uh you you do have to have some sort of checklist uh to keep things as uh, sound as they can be. But at the same time, when you talk about leadership, if you have a strong leader, uh, by all means, do not put a top on that because <laughs> it's going to blow up, right? So when we talk about leadership <clears throat> and growing up as leaders, 
Um, you mentioned the you know trajectory from second lieutenant all the way to colonel. You must have had uh, some moment where you got some advice that took you the long way. You know, thirty plus years is a long career. Uh, you don't do that too easily, um, and you don't rise to the rank of colonel without some great advice. So, what advice did you receive that you would like to pass on to emerging leaders today? When I was that, and that's a great, great question, um, because. I have received so much tremendous advice from leaders over the years, but there was one that was a game changer for me. And I was a captain, I was an 03, I was still in the flying. So we're out at the, we're out on the, the pad, you know, an airplane wasn't working, so we couldn't take off. And the maintenance car came out with the, with the maintenance chief and, and, and an officer got it out of that car. And he was a black officer and he was Lieutenant Colonel. And I'd never seen that before in my career. And so this, um, this guy just caught my attention right away. And we were at a social event later on in the club, you know, you know mandatory fun. <laughs> and he was there. And so I went over to him and I said, I said, sir, you know, I'm you know, Captain Barnes. And I saw you out at the, on the flight line the other day. And so we started talking a little bit and, and, and eventually I got around to asking him the question. So, you know, what was it that enabled you to become a Lieutenant Colonel in the Air Force? And he looked at me, he said, do your homework. And he walked away. It took me about two years to really fully understand what he said to me that day. But I started thinking about it immediately, you know, like, what does he mean by do your homework? And I started taking kind of actions, you know, that kind of represented doing my homework. And when it finally hit me after a couple of years, basically what he did without even knowing was he, he was saying to me, not even knowing I was an introvert, you need to be prepared for everything and anything that happens. And the only way you're gonna be prepared for every, anything and everything that could happen to you in your career or, or, or opportunities that come, come available to you in your career is to do your homework, make sure you're prepared. And that was a game changer. That was the best advice that I ever received you know, during my military career. Wow, you took those three words and it took you two years to really ingest it, internalize it, and make the great individual that you are today. Uh, I'm very curious if you still keep in touch with this individual because it'd be great wow. to know if you say, hey, I've done my homework. What do you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I do not keep in touch with him, although I, I would love to. Um, um, he retired as a general, a one star, um, General Hank Taylor. Uh, he, he actually had received his second star and elected not to um, stay on active duty. So he turned down his, his second star and, and left. But this was an individual who was prior enlisted, became an officer, as an officer was promoted to every rank at the maximum below the zone. So he made full colonel in 16 years as an officer, which is blazing speed. And then he, they put him on ice for a long time, you know, before he got his star. And so that was, um, that was something he and I had had a conversation about because we were stationed at the Pentagon at the same time. So I ran into him quite frequently at the Pentagon and had an opportunity to have lots of conversations with him. But uh, since he retired and since I've retired, we haven't uh, kept in touch, but I would definitely love to. 
to to do that. Um, yeah, definitely. I think it'd be a great way to be a full circle uh, opportunity. And you talk right. about put put it. He it was put on ice, so obviously there was challenges there, right? That he well, faced. So, but well, well, because well, what that meant was because the way the you know the way the Air Force works, especially on the officer side, is the reason they have below the zone is mm-hmm. because you only have a certain number of years to be in the military, you know, by by congressional dictate. So if you if they want you to make four stars, if they want you to be a four star, you have to be promoted early so that they would have some time for you to serve as a four star. So when they promote you that early, that fast, you usually they want you to put on your first star by about the your 25th year, if I have that right, 25th, 25th year in service, because then you have about nine years to serve in those general officer mm-hmm. ranks. So, so because he was promoted to full colonel at 16 years, he had nine years <laughs> to be a colonel. And that's a very long time to be a colonel, um, especially because the colonel is a testing ground. They know they've got you. <laughs> Either you are going to want to retire as a colonel, or you're going to want to become a general officer. They can basically um, put you in very challenging situations, and they know you won't deny the opportunities that they give to you. So, well, thank you. So that's what I mean by 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 on IC. That he was just waiting for that first star, and then by the time he got to the first, by the time he got that first star, it was kind of like. Um, hey. Oh, thank you for sharing more about uh, General Hank Taylor. Appreciate that, and, and more introspective to look into what goes on in the higher ranks and the officers yes. here. So, uh, and yes. you, Dr. Barnes, tell us how do you handle challenges either you face or currently facing? Again, I just I go back and and do what I do to help every other person. You know, the definition of strategy: how to get from where you are to where you want to be. I apply every day every minute of every day. So when something comes to me, I look at it and say, what do I want this to, you know, how do I want this to come out? What does success look like in this particular opportunity that has been presented to me? Where am I in relation to that vision of what this should look like? And then I start connecting the dots. And that helps me to be very purposeful and intentional in my actions. It helps me to evaluate whether an opportunity is a good opportunity for me or not. Is it in alignment with what I'm doing? I made some decisions to say that if it's not in alignment with what I'm doing and it requires me to learn something new or gather or acquire a new um, skill set, then I'll have to say no because I'm so focused on what I'm trying to do to help 600,000 micro business owners become purposefully profitable that I don't have time for the detours and the tangents and things like that. I recently violated my own rule because we're, we're, we're not perfect. And someone came to me with the idea of the metaverse and the metaverse being built on the blockchain and all the things having to do with you know NFTs and DAOs and DeFi's and all these new terms that you'll hear coming out. And it was fascinating. It's absolutely a fascinating and it parallels the growth of the internet. And so since I saw the growth of the internet, now I'm seeing the growth of the metaverse. 
uh, it's just amazing. So I have taken that on and I am learning a lot every day. And it is such a challenge and it, it, it really has kind of taken me away, but I have decided in this process to build my company as a Web3 company. Web3 being built on the blockchain using cryptocurrencies, using non-fungible tokens and the whole thing having to do with that entire community. And so I'm constantly learning. I love to read. I read constantly. And I talk to people about what I read. And these are the things that keep me running and driving um, day by day by day. And my own personal model is live and learn, learn and teach. So everything I learn, I want to share and help other people to understand. And that's why I love the fact that you have this show, the Leadership Void podcast, because I get a chance to share some of this with, with others with the intent that hopefully somebody will you know, call me and say, hey, I saw you on the Leadership Void podcast and you talked about this. I'd like to know more about that. Absolutely. Now, I tell you that I am fascinated that you've gone down the metaverse world uh, and route because it is here. It is going to stay and Web3 is coming, right? So you might as well get it in there early. Uh, definitely uh, a thought of mine uh, to, to, to make sure that the uh, podcast uh, is part of that uh, Web3 and metaverse because it's going to be dynamic. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the change, uh, and talk about change. Uh, you had many areas in your life that you was able to experience change coming from New York into the air force, getting into the aviation community, uh, or the flying community, uh, you know, PhD, I mean, so many things and we, we connected, uh, uh, during PyFest when we're talking about military con and all the, all the areas that we see where military people are involved. So when it comes to change, how do you, uh, uh, how do you face those times of change? Um, I also learned a while back that people don't mind change. And I used to use the analogy, if somebody came and dropped a billion dollars on your desk and said, this is all yours tax-free, free and clear, are you gonna like keep, keep your life the way it is? No, <laughs> you're going to make a lot of change really fast. <laughs> but the difference is those are changes that you determined. Those are changes that you directed. Those are changes that you want. Those are changes that are exciting to you. What people don't like is they don't like being changed and they don't like having changed forced upon them without having a say in that change. That's what people resist. So when I look at myself relative to change, when I start feeling that resistance and I start feeling that friction, I know that this is not a change I want to make. And I have to process that idea and say, why isn't, why don't I want to make that change? What's causing me the, the, the problem and the issue? And in many cases, it, it, it does have to do with freedom, and I want to control my time. And I, I don't want anybody, I can't stand people telling me what to do. I never have, never will. <laughs> and this is something I understand about myself. So I, but I will not reject the idea of change. I will just process it and I'll think it through and say, does this change make sense or does it not make sense? 
Uh, that's why I went into the metaverse community because that's a massive change. And it was something that I said, I had told myself I wasn't gonna make any more change. Um, I was gonna focus on what I was doing with Cistro Solutions. Uh, but when this came into the picture, it just made complete sense. So I have embraced the change. I have attacked the change. Um, that's, that's my way of dealing with and, and handling change. And when I look at other people, I'm very sensitive to the fact that they don't wanna be changed. So I try to have a conversation with them about, well, what is it that you wanna do? When I work with my clients, I don't tell them what to do. We sit down and we start and say, okay, what, do you success, what does success look like for you? What does success in your business look like for you? How much money do you wanna make? Um, what's most meaningful about your skills and what you bring to the table and how you help people, how you intend to help people. Now it, they take ownership and it belongs to them. And then I give them the assessment. So we both are on the same page and then we connect the dots collaboratively. We co-create that path. And so now they've had a say in the change and that's what makes it effective and different than what you know many other people are doing in terms of you know sort of the coaching the consulting you know mentoring and, and those sorts of things you know what if you're going to drop a billion dollars let me know so i'm ready for that change too <laughs> but i mean that's that is a great parallel and thinking about it right about because that is a change that is monetary but it's it's fruitful in so many levels change is fruitful too but to your point if you don't have skin in the game probably don't even know if it's worthwhile that billion dollar change coming down the for forefront for the mission, right? So right. investing on people to have them understand more information is key and have them under value the change coming in as far as having that skin, skin in the game is always that's a right. plus. I think that's great. And, and this is, yes, yeah, certainly is Dr. Barnes. And uh, this is a great opportunity for folks who that have been listening and says, oh man, I want to get a hold of Sister Solutions or Dr. Russ Barnes. So how do the, do the audience go about in doing that? Now, first of all, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm all over LinkedIn. If there's anything you want to know about me, go on LinkedIn. I posted articles there. I have my, my, my profile there. I describe very well what my intentions are there. And I make connections. And I have some actually have some really long conversations on LinkedIn. <laughs> That's not what it's meant for, but it's just the way it turns out sometimes. So number one, LinkedIn, um, www.linkedin.com slash IN slash RC Barnes. That's my, my LinkedIn address. And if it says Colonel Russ Barnes on it, then you have the right one. I have a son who's also named Russ Barnes. And believe it or not, he's doing better than me. So, <laughs> so, so you might find him out there as well. But Russ Barnes is actually a very common name too. I just didn't know that. So LinkedIn is number one. Um, number two is to go to my website, um, sistersolutions.com. And you'll be able to contact and connect with me there. A lot of good information on, on that site. And then the third one is send me an email. Many people don't like email, but I am an email junkie. I love to get email because I can respond to you at three in the morning. I can't respond to you and won't respond to you on the telephone call at any time during the day. <laughs> but I will certainly respond to you on an email. And my email right now is uh, Russ, R-U-S-S, -S, at sistro.org, S-Y-S-T-R-O.org. 
uh, that will that may shift over to sistrosolutions.com because that's my primary website right now. But at this point in time, that is the email and it will always be available. Even if uh, I shift over to another primary for business purposes, uh, russ.sistro.org will always be available. Outstanding. We'll have that as part of the show notes and video so that folks can get a hold of you, Doc. Thank you so much uh, for sharing your day with us. And folks, if you want to get a hold of the Leadership Void podcast, the Leadership Void at gmail.com is where you'll send that correspondence. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic that you would like for us to cover or a guest that you would like for us to be, uh, be featured on the show, we'd love to see that. Vince and I will curate that and uh, make some things happen. But today it is Russ Barnes, Colonel, Doc. What else we want to put on there? <laughs> but it's it's been great to share this platform with you, brother. It absolutely has. You know, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I've been looking forward to this for a very long time, and it has exceeded my expectations. So thank you very much for having me. And it exceeded ours as well. But thank you for that. To talk about exceeding, we hope our guests exceed by heading their subscription drive. All we need is seven more folks to hit our goal. Once you enter, you do is go to our YouTube channel, The Leadership Void. Enter, you enter into a drawing to win this wonderful book by Scott McGregor. It's called Standing O, The Salute Edition, Lessons in Gratitude, signed by Scott McGregor, autographed by that. Look at it. It's a great book. Seven more people. All we need. Hit us there. We'll love to have you there. A C- couple other things we do every first and the 15th. We do radio check. Time to get a hold of our community. Both first responder and military come together and just chat and just f- share resources, share opportunities, share what challenges they might have. So first and the 15th, 1900, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on LinkedIn Live. And just like always, we thank the home team mortgage our sponsor for these wonderful shows but today is all about dr russ barnes thank you again colonel barnes thank you sir it's been a pleasure for being with you can i say one more thing because you just pointed something out and that is that um i have a podcast called a purposefully profitable podcast that you can access i have a book called 15 things you need to know to be purposefully profitable um small business for service members and that's available. And many people tell me that it's not only it's not only for service members that people who are not service members can benefit from um, using that book as well. So I wanted to make sure that people are aware of that. There you go, podcast in the book, and hopefully we'll get a copy so we can put it out there as well for other folks. But again, Dr. Barnes, thank you so much for being here. It's been a pleasure. Have a great day. You too. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to the Leadership Void Podcast. If you have any topics you would like to discuss or you are dealing with leadership issues, be sure to write us at theleadershipvoid at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Until next time.